Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. This is season two, episode number 29. And so today we're going to talk all about volunteerism and maybe a little bit about money as well. Well, they're sort of uh, two peas in a pod, aren't they, T? Very, very much. Hey, I just want to quickly point out that if you want to support the podcast financially, we're going to pass the offering plate. Sorry about this, or the offering bag, as we did in the Pentecostal scene. This money will just go to helping us with promotion and advertising and those kinds of things. Promise we're not drawing a wage. Neither are we going to buy Mercedes Benzes or anything like that with your $5. But it is at patreon.com forward slash IWATF. So I was a teenage fundamentalist. Please jump in there and subscribe to Patreon if you want to help us out. That would be awesome. And uh, again, just our socials, our Facebook group is booming. I think we're uh, we're over 200 people in there now, which is great. Um, there's some good conversations, lots of stuff, a bit, a bit of a community happening in there. Get in there, play nice, have a chat and uh, share your experiences and help each other move forward in some positive ways. The group's there. We've also got our Twitter account, at was teenage is our handle and get onto there you see a little bit of stuff shared through there um, feel free to share that on and just remember also when you are downloading our podcast from whatever platform you use please just rate us it just helps i guess getting the message out there in any way so thank you and thank you everyone for less listening we are appreciating the audience is building yeah very good so, B, I saw the BBC Storyville show and they did an episode or a story on Hillsong. Yep. It went for about 90 minutes and it really, it really blew me away. I went in there ready to sort of go, okay, this is just going to – no. It really blew me away because what I saw was so much of what we had experienced in the Australian Christian churches or in the AOG is still going on. You know, I think sometimes we make this podcast and, you know, we haven't been involved in these groups for – 25 years, whatever it is, and we think, surely they've changed. Surely they've moved on. And they have changed, but not necessarily in a good way. I sort of felt like they, when I was watching that Hillsong documentary, it was like all the really bad things that I hated about the AOG uh, and that I still hate uh, about the AOG. And I use that word meaning, you know, I really despise a lot of the practices, not the people, right? But it's like they have experienced expanded or just blown up those things it's like they're just focusing on those and maybe that's the show itself focusing on that and maybe there's a lot of really good things that are going on as well but the thing that really stuck out to me when watching this was the relationship between hillsong and volunteers and money Mm -hmm. right so everyone thinks about hillsong and goes oh yeah no you know they're all about money and raising money and tithing and you know making hundreds of millions of dollars in a year we know that but there's a flip side to that, which is there's a lot of people giving money and there's also a lot of people giving their time. And it really triggered me, I have to say, in watching it. And I really recommend people if you can get onto that BBC doco and have a look. But it just reminded me of so much. And one thing that really stood out to me was you've got these people that are living by faith and they're the leaders and yeah. they are making literal millions and hundreds of thousands of dollars in a year and millions, whatever. And then you've got these other people that are living by faith and they're living on a couch at, you know, some flea bag apartment, spending a lot of their own money to try and convince other people to give their money. Mm. Yeah, it's true. And and look, I, I guess I just want to 
contextualise some of this by by saying, for anything that we're going to be saying from here on, Australian society and many societies absolutely could not function without volunteers. Volunteers are incredibly important. Like they are crucial. I work for an organisation that leans, leads upon lots of volunteers um, to be able to, to fix tick things along, but it also builds a sense of community. So I think it is an incredibly important part of society's fabric. But it's how your volunteers are treated. It's how those who are using the employment of those volunteers, for lack of a better word, um, how they are treating them. What are what are they getting from it? That, I guess, is the questions that we'll be we asking as we move forward. And, and to you and I, um, has spent countless hours as as volunteers, both in the church environment, but also in the um, the larger expanded um, parts of of the church. I guess that um, we're reaching out to to young people and to street kids with the work we did. Mm. And and so I hear you saying that volunteerism, uh, or you know, or the use of volunteers, is not a bad thing. As a matter of no. fact, it's a necessary thing, right? So it's not just for church for political organisations, for schools. Um, you know, we think about Rotary and and these other organisations that we 100% need volunteers to be able to do a lot of these good things, right? So we are not for a moment coming at this through the lens of saying these organisations should not be using volunteers, right? Absolutely not. No, they are crucial. And we don't have enough money to to make the world go around for everybody to get paid. And not all work needs to be paid. I mean, you don't want to set um, society up that everything you do has some sort of remuneration because it, it could never work and people's motivations would be different. And I think your sense of community and your building of community would be very different to, to what it is. So just to be super, super clear on that, I guess, from the outset. But, you know, some of those areas that we were involved in, uh, in volunteerism, I mean, I don't know, too, if you want to start talking about uh, your experience. Sure. Well, thinking about the early days of being involved with Great Big AOG, I certainly did a lot of volunteer work, right? And yeah. and, and there was no intent to, to draw a wage. There was never any promise of being looked after financially. It was purely volunteer. So whether I was making the youth group newsletter or whether I was out on the streets, you know, trying to tell people about Jesus. It was always very much made clear to me that this is a volunteer role. Um, there was never any promise that I was going to go into any sort of paid employment or anything like that, 100%. That was, that was never there and never on the table. And yet I still did it because yeah. this is what I wanted to do because I, I really believed in the message. I really believed in the, in the community. I really believed in the vision of what we were trying to do. And so yep. it was nothing for me to do volunteer work. And and I dare say that there's a whole lot of young people in churches today, let alone when we were there, that are working in their youth groups, whatever they're doing right in the church. It, it's just a part of being in church, whether you're in a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church, it's, it's par for the course. What I do want to bring up is there does come a point where you start to believe I'm doing this for a time. And then eventually I'm going to get the paid position. And oftentimes, you know, in, in churches and especially when we we're in Great Big AOG, there was a number of paid positions that were pastors. And usually the ones that we were looking at was the were the youth pastor positions. Yeah. And so 
you maybe had two, three, four paid positions in our church because it was quite quite a big one. But you probably had about 15, 20, 30 young people underneath doing volunteer work to show that they were committed, to show that they were deserving of the paid role when it became available. Yeah, I, I mean, there was always a bit of a roster as to who was doing what, wasn't there? And whether that was taking the offering, whether it was whatever the other things were now. Handing out the welcome packs. That's right, handing out the welcome packs. Standing at the door, greeting people. The the greeters, yes. Passing the Patreon page. Uh, I mean, the offering bag. (laughs) So that's right. There there was a bucket load of, of things happening. But also during the week, if you think of your week, I mean, running a a home group you know it was the preparation time for that as well as the actual time of running the group plus following up with people because you'd see them as your own little flock Uh, you know your bunch of people that you had to look out for again not bad in itself but when you pile that on with the fact if i look at my own experience i was working full time um also a couple of nights a week was doing work with the street kids saturday was youth group sunday was church there was always and sunday you know church a couple of times so all of those generally as you sort of moved up in in positions that you were again wanting to position yourself to get a paid position um you did more and you kept doing more and i think the more that you did the more that you got leaned upon to do even more because there was a small pool of people who were willing i guess to chip in um and it happens quite often with volunteers um that there's a bunch of people that are workhorses and they will jump in and they will do stuff when it needs to get done quite often to their own detriment. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So what happened at Great Big AOG was one of the youth pastors got this vision. And he got this vision because he went to another state and saw this youth program, this youth outreach slash street kids program that was being run in another state, came back to Great Big AOG and decided he was going to run this out of Great Big AOG, a a local version. So he started this whole street kid outreach program and he was still a youth pastor at great big aog so he wasn't ever really involved maybe a handful of times in the actual doing of the outreach but he saw himself as the the dude with the vision and so he started to try and build this organization from the ground up and kudos to him that he actually did it yeah right he actually got it off the ground but they actually went after corporate donations Yep. Right, so they went over, went after some very large organisations, right? Very large corporate businesses um, yep. who wanted to, you know, align themselves with, you know, with good things and with social outreach and social programs. And so they got they got the money, and they got the money under the guise of we're not going to be super religious. Yeah. Right. But we totally were. We never, we never dialed back or pulled back on that at all, except when the donors came, right? And then we sort of, you know, were quite happy to bite our tongue every time we wanted to say Jesus. But otherwise, we're ha- we happily took the money. We told them it wasn't going to be used for religious outreach, and then we totally used it for re- religious outreach. So many of those volunteers never got a wage, never got a salary, never got any sort of hourly rate or anything. That money went to other things. I mean, there was a substantial amount of money. Um, these were large multinational corporations who were sponsoring or, or donating to this organisation. And I remember being told, you know, it was in the vicinity of one of the donors only. It was like 500 grand a year. 
So that was just one of them, and there were several. So there was a fair bit of money flowing in. And, I mean, we certainly saw some of that money flowing in with, with cars, um, with the use of cars of, of those who were in paid position, particularly the, the pastor who'd had the vision. And we certainly didn't see any of that kick back our way. That That's for sure. So I just want to make it clear that I never saw anything illegal um, being done with the money. I'm not going to in any way infer that that was what was going on either. Um, and I say that not just to cover our own legal asses, but also because that's the truth, right? I never, yeah. I never saw anything like that happening. But there's a lot of things that you sort of at the time were going, oh, is that right? Or should yeah. that be done? And I think we oftentimes asked ourselves that because we didn't necessarily have the whole story, right? We didn't know what the law was or what the rules were. But but there were definitely times where you're sort of going, um, is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of pressuring of people to um, contribute to the vision and build the um, build the vision, I guess, and contribute in any way. And one that comes to mind was, you know, obviously working with people who lived on the street. You know, one thing that they really needed was a feed, and secondly, was to be able to have a shower. And I remember there was a, a plumber within the church who donated a little bit of his time, but also needed to be paid for some of it, but at a hugely discounted rate. A lot of work went into setting up these showers and um, there was endless weeks of work. I, I remember talking to this plumber and he got to the point, he was quite pragmatic. He goes, I'm getting no money. I'm getting nothing flow to, through to me. I'm going to stop working. And he did. He pulled the pin on his work because even the, the small amount that had been agreed that he would get paid wasn't coming through to him because there was an expectation because he was a Christian and he was a tradie that he could contribute his, his time for free. But to do that, he was taking away from his earning capacity. All he wanted to do was cover a basic amount just to keep things ticking along. I mean, he had his own business, but that wasn't given. Meanwhile, everyone else was drawing a wage um, who was who was paid and uh, on the payroll. As far as I know, no cash flow issue. And those people who were on the payroll were still getting paid. But this guy, what was agreed, um, just wasn't going through to him. So he did. He pulled the pin. And I remember months later, that sat there dormant. That never, when I left that organisation, that had never been finished because they weren't prepared to pay anyone to come in and do it. The other thing that always concerned me, which we touched on a minute ago, was the car. So there was a car and it was the the organisation car. And the pastor, who was still drawing a salary over the road at, at Great Big AOG, he used to take that car home every night. So it wasn't, wasn't the people that were actually doing the work. It wasn't the people that were actually there feeding the kids and painting the building and all that. Certainly, he would drop the car there at the beginning of the day. And then we would use it over the course of the day. And then at the end of the day, we had to drop the car back to him. And then he would take it home and he got it, you know, evenings and weekends, which to me, again, I'm not saying anything illegal was going on there, but it just didn't sit right. It was like, why, no. why, why would you get it? Why not? Why not? You know, and I'm going to just call him F. Why not F who's actually here every day doing the hard work, doing the hard yards? Why doesn't he get the car? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, if, if you're looking at it from a, a tax point of view, it's a fringe benefit. Um, so, you know, this person is getting the benefit, um, but others are doing the work. So it's mm. very frustrating. And do you remember the fundraiser? 
I do remember the fundraiser, several fundraisers. Yeah, well, there was there was one big one because I, I was still there and I was still working for the for the organisation um, as a volunteer, and we, we were actually the street team. So we were the heart of the heart of the organisation in terms of we were the ones that were going out, bringing the kids in, feeding them, and doing that kind of thing. And then when we had the fundraiser, we were expected to be volunteers at the fundraiser while the people that were on any sort of salary for the organization sat at the table at this five-star hotel in this grand ballroom and do you remember the cast of neighbors came to the fundraiser right so they they you know it was one of these sort of socialite style fundraiser events they got an organization to do it and they brought the the cast of neighbors and some other celebrities and i'm assuming that those celebrities were brought in to to draw the money the people with money in. Do you remember they raffled off a racehorse? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember. That's right. Yeah, they raffled a racehorse. They raffled all these other kinds of things in this, you know, attempt to raise money. But the thing that upset me at the time, and maybe this is just pride, maybe this is just hubris, but the amount of people that actually came along that night as guests of the organisation and, you know, didn't didn't have to pay, they were, they were part of the dinner. And meanwhile, we that were actually doing the real work we're expected to run around and collect, you know, pledges for the for the donations. And, you know, even we weren't serving food or anything, but we we're doing all that sort of donation business end. And we did mm. it. We did it anyway. Yeah, we did. I mean, look, I'm not complaining. I got to ogle uh, over Annalise Brackensek. I think her name was from Neighbours. And that's <laughs> pretty amazing. Um, I was posted near her table. I yeah, used she, to have... she, she didn't dress like a good Christian, did she? I remember that night. It was just like, oh, my God, you know, and what what was I twenty something? It was just like she was amazing. She was in amazing. real life. She was amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, this was a these were huge events. There were hundreds of people there. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars were raised on these nights, and that was an annual thing. And it and it was huge. I remember I used to have fun at them. I've got to say, like they they were a really good fun night. But you were running around like a blue ass fly all night it was work 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 and very little reward if if any for the hard work that you've done all year in your countless volunteer hours now i'm going to tell you a little bit of a story because this is something i'm not really proud of the youth pastor that had been running this organization went to become the senior pastor of country town aog and he invited me to go as his youth pastor now what he did was, because he didn't have the money to give me any sort of salary, he said, I'm going to get some money out of this charity organization to bring you down. And you can do a mixture of both the church and this organization. Yeah. So already the lines were blurred, right? So we, we'd promised that we weren't going to be using this money to do anything sort of religious, which we were all the time. But now I was actually using some of that money to do church work and that was that was clear right it wasn't muddied waters it was it was quite clear and i had a little bit of a conscience on that so i would actually try to do some of the charity work in in this country town but there was nothing coming from the organization there was nothing there was no direction there was nothing this this pastor did not really expect me to do anything his focus was actually you're going to build the church. You're going to build the youth group, right? So I was taking a couple of days week a week salary from this charity organization, and I was actually building the youth group. 
And 100%, that wasn't right. That certainly wasn't the right thing to do. But there I was. So there's a, there's a bit of a confession. That kind of thing went on, right? And so this this person, you know, we said talk, talked about the car, and now you know they're they're paying their youth pastor with money from this organisation, etc. Not saying anything illegal, but it certainly wasn't ethical. Did that? How did that sit with you at the time? Were you just happy to be able to get a couple of days pay, or did it was it conflicting for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I was living by faith still, right? So I was only getting a couple of days. And then I was working in a service station doing three graveyard shifts, right? Overnight shifts, midnight till six, um, three nights a week just to make ends meet. And then I got a couple of days paid by this organization. And then I was actually doing more church stuff. I felt bad about it enough to occasionally go out on the streets and start talking to street kids down in, in the country town, you know, not not that there was a whole lot of them. But that that was still going on, I guess. I was I was trying to make it that I was still doing this, but there was no as I said, there was no direction, there was no strategic anything coming from the organization saying, you are our operative in this country town. You are to do this. Other than, yeah, yeah, go and do it. But really the focus on me was to build the the church youth group and to build the church. And, you know, not really worrying about what's going on with, with the charity or with the street kids. And so, yeah, it, it, it sucked. I mean, the fact that I'm telling that story now shows that I was, wasn't comfortable with it then. Yeah, look, it's full on. And, uh, I mean, it, I think stuff like did, that did happen a bit. I remember one of my best mates, um, he was doing a little bit of volunteer work with me. I, I, you know, I'd started... Uh, a fair bit earlier there, he came in and he was brought on to paid staff at uh, at this organisation, working with street kids. And I remember how put out I was. I was like, bloody hell, I've worked my ass off to be involved in this work, uh, doing it all volunteer. And for me, you know, I was working full time. I was working six days a week and quite odd hours. So I had the luxury of being able to come in in the evening and work uh, and I quite often go straight to work on a night shift from working with street kids. So I felt like I was just putting in so much. I remember being so incredibly put out that this friend of mine got offered, I think it was three or four days a week, and he went and worked there. But I tell you, in hindsight, I'm bloody glad it wasn't me because I remember him telling me how much he got paid and it was it was pittance, you know, it was it was minimum wage sort of stuff. And they struggled to to make ends meet. That's that's for sure. Well, again, the pastor who was, I guess, the figurehead of the place was sitting quite comfortably. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a worry. It really is. Look, I, I wish I could say, you know, I saw this and I saw that, and you know, here's here's the spreadsheet and here's the financial balance and all that kind of stuff. And I can't. I was never made privy to that. But I will say that if those multinationals had known what we were actually spending the money on, you know, that, that, you know, I was down in country town AOG, you know, building a youth group and telling kids about Jesus and taking them to youth alive rallies and all that kind of stuff. And none of these kids that I was working with were living on the streets, right? They were all just, you know, suburban kids, country kids, whatever. I think if those organizations had known, they probably would have pulled the pin. They probably would have gone nuts. And yeah. and I can definitely say that some of those organisations, the connections to those organisations were that some of their employees went to our church. Yeah, yeah, abs- they did, absolutely. Like quite senior employees, obviously, and that's how they got the um, the funds to contribute. 
I mean, this isn't to say that that organisation didn't do some fantastic things. Like I, I remember some of the kids that we worked with and whether their lives turned around or not, I don't know, but maybe we pay, uh, played sorry, a small part in their lives in being able to, to help them either get off the streets. I don't know if you remember during summer, you get your summer street kids. So the numbers would swell because a bunch of kids would leave home with the excitement of, of living on the streets during the the summertime when it was a bit warmer and, you know, th things would be a little bit more tokenistic then. But when you headed into the cooler months and those hardcore street kids were there, I remember it was a real sense of satisfaction of working with them. And even, you know, I remember several of them going into prison or in youth detention centres and going and visiting them as oh, well. Totally, during, yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, I mean, there were some really rewarding things and I'm sure that we made a difference in their lives, but it was the broader systemic stuff that was happening, which was, I think, little little less than desirable. Yeah. Another thing I guess I want to point out, and I will say that I do understand the organisation and, you know, Great Big AOG who are auspicing this were, were new to this and they really didn't know. So I think that their their heart was in the right place. And let's face it, it was the first time that that organisation had really done, this is a great big AOG, had really tried to do something around social justice and really try to help you know street kids and feed people and that kind of thing, at least in our experience and sort of more, more recent times when we were there. We were out there on the streets working with these street kids, right? And some of these kids had really serious, profound issues. Yeah. And here we were just a group of young people right there was no training there was no you know we, we certainly weren't certified or qualified or anything like that i can remember one of the little girls that we were working with and i say little girls because she was she was only about sort of 12 13 and she was actually the product of rape her grandfather had raped her mother so mm -hmm. her grandfather was her father right and so she just come into this world where her mother on some you know some given day would just be I love you, you're my daughter, and other days was a reminder of the trauma of what had happened with her father and, you know, all this kind of stuff and was totally rejecting it. So this little girl lived on the streets. Eventually she killed herself. Yeah, I remember right? that. Yeah, and she killed herself on the watch of one of our workers, right? Um, mm. And I'm going to call her Elle. And Elle was destroyed yep. by this because she had built this relationship with this girl, etc. There was absolutely no support zero no support in place right and again i get it it was a you know it was great big aog's attempt to do this kind of thing right i'm not saying that people were saying we don't care they just weren't prepared and they yeah. didn't know what they were supposed to do and so when this little girl killed herself l fell off the edge of of the world she really did she went into a deep depression she you know she left church it was she was just a mess and, yeah. and I can remember, too, some of the other kids we were working with and some of the issues that they had, we had no way of really helping them. And so I, I guess I question not the morality, but I guess I question the, the reality, right? Or should Great Big AOG have been taking this money and setting up an organization simply so they could be in control rather than taking the money that they were getting and supporting existing groups because i remember there was a friend of mine that was working at youth for christ yeah and when she heard what was going on with us in this in great big aog's organization she was saying you guys are getting no support 
you guys yeah. are getting nothing. And she was getting that in Youth for Christ. She was going to youth detention for, for, for young young women and that kind of stuff. So she understood. And I didn't even know what she meant when she said, yeah. you're not getting support. I'm like, we're not getting support? What kind of support? Well, there wasn't really a recognition. I mean, we've spoken about this before, that the times where we did try to bring street kids in to Great Big AAG, they were shunned. They were shoved up the back. At times, I remember a couple of times them being removed because they were too noisy for the service. Um, so it was all well and good to have them over there and in this organisation that they were auspicing. However, you, you didn't really want them infecting that part of Great Big AOG, did you, where, where it was the core and, um, you know, the, the Sunday service type stuff. It was very much keep it over there, keep it at arm's length and make sure that these kids are reached, um, perhaps even saved, but clean them up before they come into the fold. Yeah, I hear you. The other thing I remember is later on, and I had long since left Great Big AOG, but coming back to visit the organisation and going downstairs and one of these big open areas that we had had basically been turned into a church auditorium and they were running religious services, uh, you know, concurrent to Great Big AOG. It was it almost became like a church plant. So I don't know where the money, whether the money was still coming from these multinational organizations by that stage i have no idea but it certainly devolved or evolved away from being a charity to just becoming another church in a in a warehouse in you know in a city yeah it did and that was definitely around the the end of my tenure there that's for sure and i remember being exhausted um as i said you know all the different things i had on my plate at that time and i remember approaching wasn't the, the pastor with the vision, it was another guy there who was completely, completely passionate about these kids and he really was the heart and soul of this place. I tried to approach him for weeks on end because I just, I had to, I had to stop. I had to take a break. I mean, deep down I knew that I had to leave because I was just absolutely exhausted. And I remember he just kept avoiding it. He just kept avoiding it and wouldn't have the conversation with me. He'd walk off on me and go, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Go away. Pray. See, see what you, you know, come up with. Eventually, I had to leave him a note saying, that's it. I'm done. I won't be back next week. Because, you know, I was, I was coordinating the outreach stuff. I was there a lot of nights every week, plus putting into all the other stuff. I remember I walked away and it was around about that time where they were turning it into a bit of a church service and, and I thought it just it had lost its original plan of actually reaching street kids to be able to, I guess, make their life better and, and help the fact that they had a lot of shit going on in their life. For me, it wasn't always about the getting these kids saved and bringing them into the fold. You know, for me, it was about actually reaching out to them and actually making their, their life better and more tolerable and even helping them to just to move through the shit they're in. And, and for me, if I look back, I think it was it was the infancy of the career that I ended up making for myself later on in um, the profession I'm in now. So I have a lot of stuff to be thankful for around that time, the good and the bad, uh, and the learnings and what I was able to actually create from it. I think it gave me a really good foundation for this stuff, but there was a lot going on, and I think there was – I'd love to know – what ended up happening towards the end, I wasn't there for it, but uh, from what I hear, it did fall apart a bit. Well, we sort of see all this as a 
a prototype for what happened later on with Hillsong, right? Because do you remember, and, and look, I don't know the details. Some people in the chat can actually throw, uh, the Facebook group can actually throw the comments in, but there was that whole thing with Hillsong about, and, and it was, I think it was funded by Gloria Jean's Coffee or something like this, and and maybe not. I'm, I'm not saying that was definitely what happened, but they were doing some sort of young women's support, right? So girls at risk, and and it all just went to shit, Right in the end, they were being accused of all these different things, and I don't know if it was necessarily because people had evil intentions. Their intentions were probably quite good, but they just didn't have the skills. They just didn't have the qualifications. They just didn't have what it took, even a knowledge of the issues that they were trying to deal with. And so what happens is a lot of people will give money, and a lot of people from Great Big AOG did, and I dare say a lot of people from Hillsong and other churches did give money to these organizations that they're trying to start up. But actually, they're just not qualified. They're just not able to do what it is that they're trying to do. And they end up hurting people. They end up damaging lives, not just for the people that they are claiming to serve, but the volunteers that are in there doing all this work and people that they're underpaying or not paying at all. It, it just becomes a great big schmozzle and people are just left in tatters. And I really want to stress that I'm not saying that it's because people are grabbing at money and, you know, fleecing the flock to line their pockets. I'm not saying that, although that does definitely happen. So I'm saying a little bit. But I think a lot of the time people are genuinely trying to do the right thing, but they're just not qualified. And they have no idea what it is they're supposed to do. And it's better that they don't. It's better that they actually take that money right, those, those those offerings and those um, donations and give them to the Salvos or give them to St. Vincent de Paul or give them to, you know, whatever organisation um, that actually is stable, that actually is trying to do the right thing. But I'll tell you, and I'm sorry to jump in this, into the cynical camp again, but I'll tell you why they don't. Because ultimately they have a religious agenda, not necessarily a social agenda, and also they want control and they want the accolades. Right. Remember coming back to that guy that was running that charity organization in Great Big AOG. He used to bring his pastor mates over and take them through on a tour. And like we said before, when the television stations would come or the radio stations would come to he was there. You know, it was all about the narcissism as much as it was about anything else. So there were definitely some amazing people trying to do some amazing work in that organization. But ultimately, it would have been better if we just go and donated our time to, you know, Father Bob's group or to um, the Salvos or to whatever, rather than this mess that we were left with, you know, because we got hurt in the end. I, I mean, I hear it in your story. In the end, we got hurt. Oh, most definitely. And and you're right. Look, at it really was quite often a church building exercise. So these were feeders, feeders for the flock. This was another channel to bring people in, uh, to get them saved. It was a, a bit of a numbers game. I think there was a social agenda with some players, but I think overarching, it was a salvation agenda. That's that's what it was for me that I saw in the end. It it very much wasn't about social justice. I mean, some groups do do the social justice agenda really well, and I've come across many groups that do, and genuinely, sorry, genuinely do that without um, the baggage. You mean Christian organisations? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I've come across Christian organisations that actually have a social justice arm that is purely 
about social justice, they quite often have psychologists and social workers leading that space. They don't have pastors and somebody who's run through a three-week counselling course running those. So it does happen, it can happen, but unfortunately more often than not, it doesn't happen. And and like you just said, ultimately from a from a Pentecostal perspective, they are overwhelmed by the drive to win souls, as they would say, and to bring people into the church. So even if it starts off with an intention, I have no problem saying to people, save your money, don't give it to the to these these charities, give it to the established charities, right? And you know, do your homework, of course, and make sure that you know they're not they're not plagued by scandals either. But you know, in spite of what we hear through the grapevine, the majority of them are not. The majority of them are doing really good things. And as you said, if those organisations with their volunteers didn't exist, we'd be in a much worse state than we are now. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's super important. So I guess we are looking at it definitely through a very particular lens and through our experience, uh, just to share the story of when it can be good, but when it can also be very, very shit. Um, so, and there was a large proportion of our experience that was very, very shit. Um, and you were loaded up, you were loaded up with stuff to do. The more you did, the more you could guarantee you were gonna get loaded up with. So uh, I think that was, that was a bit of a curse as well. Do you think, the word would be exploited, that we were exploited? Yeah, and look, whether it was purposeful exploitation or whether it was just taking advantage of people that were willing to um, to jump in and give it their all and give beyond their all um, to breaking point, um, I think I'm sure that there are, are some people that uh, exploit it um, and we definitely knew some players that would do that. But I think there was just some people that were so desperate to want to do good that anybody that would jump on the journey with them, they would just drag along. And sometimes I know I was guilted into doing things um, when I just had enough, when I was absolutely exhausted. It was just one more thing. Can you just do one more thing? Can you come and do this one more night? Um, so, and, and I would do it. But in the end, it was just all too much. Well, it's all over now. Happy place. Happy place. <laughs> yeah. Now I get paid to do this stuff. So yeah, that's, that's all right. right. And I, I've chosen my charities. That's what I've done. My, my kids and I, we actually looked at organisations that we wanted to support and what they were achieving. And I got my kids and, and got them to, to look in to the organisations. They came back to me. And they actually ended up choosing UNICEF yep. um, for, for kids. And they also chose Amnesty International, which I was really proud that they chose those. So we as a family support that in an ongoing way and you know when the when the newsletters come and the magazines come we stop and we make sure that we celebrate the fact that we are we're a part of this even though it's just the giving but you know that the the funding has to come from somewhere i guess yeah it does and we're similar we definitely choose um some good local ones and some good international ones but i certainly care for where we put our money and and make sure that we actually know the backstory of uh where it is going to go yeah, very good. Hey, so next week we are looking at heaven and hell. Nice mm. little light topic. Yes, it's a, it should be interesting. Um, heaven and hell. So let's uh, let's definitely enjoy that conversation because it's yep. no doubt going to give us nightmares. Yeah, I know where I want to go. Hell. No. Oh, okay. Have you not been listening to my story for the last fucking million episodes? No. We don't want to go to hell. We want to go to heaven. Oh, sorry. I always get those two mixed up. I'm not quite yeah, sure which one just, is which. 
Yeah, that's because you are a progressive Pentecostal. All <laughs> right, my friend, I'll see you next time for next our time. next episode. It sounds good. Cue the tunes. Mm-hmm.